continuing our study in the Gospel according to Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, and reading through the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. There is so much in this passage that I want us to try and see. I'm just pray with me that God will help me to say what I need to and help us to recognize what the Holy Spirit is saying. First of all, Jesus asked them a question, who do people say the Son of Man is? The term the Son of Man was a term for the Messiah. That was what the people uh, for generations, even before Jesus came, had referred to um, the title, one of the titles they had used to refer to the Messiah. So Jesus is clearly saying to them, he's not keeping it hidden, he's saying to them who he is. But they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus asked the pivotal question that all of us must face. But what about you? 
I mean, you know what they're saying. What do you say? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Home run. I mean, bam. That is the truth. That's who Jesus is. And Jesus said, Simon, I already knew that you were the brightest one in the group. You you clearly, I mean, just from the start, you just have such insight and you're so intelligent. And, you know, that's why I picked you. That's not what he said. He said, you are blessed because you didn't get this through human means. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't figure this out because you're smart. You didn't figure it out. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You are blessed. Now, Jesus loved his disciples. And Peter, James, and John were the three disciples who were closest to Jesus. But Jesus recognized, and we need to recognize, that when a person recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, that's because God has done a work of grace in their heart. John chapter 3, Jesus meets with Nicodemus, one of the teachers of Israel, one of the leaders, a member of the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus says, we know you are sent from God because there's no other explanation for the things that you do. Jesus said to him, unless a man is born again, unless a man is born of the Spirit, he cannot perceive the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says both there in John 3. But not only can you not enter into a saving relationship with God apart from the new birth, you can't even recognize the kingdom of God. You're not even going to see it. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, the natural man cannot accept the truths that are spiritual. It just doesn't fit. To those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, what are you talking about? I don't get it. I don't understand. One of my joys over the years has been watching people who just couldn't get it, just didn't understand it. Just they they were made of Teflon, if you know what Teflon is. It's a nonstick coating. They could hear the truth over and over and over and just not there. I was on the phone probably within the last month with a dear friend from our years in New England, who one evening, as we talked in his home, suddenly was born again. The light came on, and I could see it as we're talking. All of a sudden, he said, so what you're saying is this? And I said, yes. So then this? And I said, yes. So then this, and tears are coming. And he said, then I need to give my life to Jesus. Yes! That's right. That's what needs to happen. When you see it, you can't unsee it. Peter, 
you're blessed. Because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Then he said, I'm giving you a new name. Peter, which means rock. Okay? You are, from now on, you're rocky. Okay? Students here are not old enough to remember Rocky. But the staff remember Rocky. I actually walked right by Sylvester Stallone on the streets of New York City years ago. And, I mean, he's a rugged guy, but I was surprised that I was taller than he was. (laughs) Just so you know. Let me tell you something. Peter... Your being the rock is not about your height. It's not about muscularity. It's not about training for a fight. God has chosen you to be a rock. And he goes on and says, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now some take this to mean that Peter is the rock on which the church is built. Others say, no, it is the faith of Peter this recognition of Jesus as the Messiah that is the rock on which the church is built. I would say to you, don't fuss. Jesus is the one on whom the church is built, but God chose Peter, Simon Peter, to play a pivotal role in church history. Roman Catholics call him the first pope. Slight problem, the man was clearly married. If you look in Scripture, it talks about his mother-in-law. And there's only one way to have a mother-in-law, and that's if you got a wife. So apparently the notion that anybody who's supposed to be in church leadership is not supposed to be married is not just something that is not in Scripture, it's actually contrary to Scripture. Scripture says that if you're going to be an elder or a pastor or a bishop, You have to be the husband of one wife and manage your household well. Tough to do if you never married and are celibate. Okay? So, I don't want to go way off field here, but I just want you to understand that the focus here is not on Peter. And if anything makes that clear, it's the verses that follow. Because in the very next verses, what happens? Jesus begins to teach them about what's going to happen to him, and Peter, feeling very good about his previous success, takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Rebuke Jesus! Can you imagine? Well, hey, they were friends. And what was he rebuking him over? Well, Jesus was starting to get into negative thinking. Jesus was starting to make bad confessions. He was starting to say things were going to go south, things were not going to go well. He was going to be suffering and, and, and killed. We don't want Jesus thinking that way. No more stinking thinking. Come on now. Turn that frown upside down. Let's be positive. Come on. Come on. Jesus, don't think that way, don't talk that way. Come on, you need to have a positive outlook. We're going to go up to Jerusalem. There'll be a parade in your honor, and you're going to be made the king of Israel. Come on, come on. And Jesus said, Peter, I realize this is coming from a good place in you. You're, you're just loving your friend, and you're, you're wanting to encourage me and keep me from 
you know, getting down in the dumps. But um, really, frankly, I, I can't go along with what you're saying. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God. Well, just, you know, I, I thought I was the rock. You know? I mean, I, I, you said all those nice things about me. Jesus loved Peter. Jesus is going to die for Peter. Jesus is going to recommission Peter, the end of John's Gospel. And Peter is going to be greatly used, and he's going to die a martyr's death. But let me tell you something. Jesus recognized when Peter made his confession of Jesus as the Son of God, that was from God. My Father has revealed this to you. But when Peter is trying, very understandably from our perspective, to say, no, Jesus, you're not going to have to die, Jesus recognized where that was from too, and it wasn't from the Father. In fact, it was from Satan. And Jesus didn't say to him, get behind me, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Because he recognized that voice. Let me tell you something. God can reveal things to you about who Jesus is and the truth of the scripture and the trustworthiness of God's promises. But you also have an adversary who will try and plant thoughts in your mind that are contrary to scripture. The reason that Jesus was saying these things were going to happen is because God had already said through the prophets in the Old Testament that this is what's going to happen. Isaiah 53 could not be more clear, and it is one of many passages. The whole sacrificial system pointed to Jesus' death on the cross. The blood of the Passover lamb being put on the top and the two sides of the doorframe in Egypt was the mark of the cross before the Romans were killing people by crucifixion. But God already knew how Jesus was going to die. And Jesus is the lamb that those Passover lambs pointed to. And so Jesus is explaining to them what's going to happen, and Peter's saying, no, it won't. No, it's not. God said, don't eat the fruit of that tree. If you eat the fruit of that tree, you'll die. Satan said, no, no, not going to happen. You you won't die. God just knows that if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. When anybody, I don't care who they are, I don't even care if it's the Pope, tries to get you to believe that what God says in his word is not true, that is the voice of Satan. You call him the the Pope, Satan? I'm saying anybody, certainly including me, if anybody tries to tell you the Bible's not true, 
God doesn't mean what he said here. That's just not going to apply. You don't have to live this way. You can do this and it's okay. God says this. This is true. Any voice that contradicts Scripture is the voice of Satan. It is still the same serpent uttering the same lie. It's been his tactic from the beginning of human history to try to get people to not believe what God says. So, Jesus spoke to the source. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, he's already told them that he's going to die. He says to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What, what are we talking about here? Well, the, the cross is, is a wonderful piece of jewelry and Jesus wanted us all to wear one. Is that what he's talking about? No, okay. So the cross can be actually constructed. You can, you can see these uh, on, on the internet where there are a number of preachers down through the ages who have had large wooden crosses made, generally with wheels on the back end to make it easier to move them. And they walk around and they're carrying a cross and it, it's a, a, an attraction. People watch and they see and they want to know what's going on. Why are you doing this? And they can stop and they can preach and so forth. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. No. Well, the cross was a... a, a what, was, what was the cross? It was something to die on. It was an excruciating, torturous way of killing people. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be ready to die. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Well, I don't want to lose my life. I mean, you know, Jesus, I want to follow you, but not, not to the cross. Jesus says, you've got to die daily. It's an ongoing death to self, life in Christ. You can't just do what you feel like doing. You do what he says. And it can be painful. Well, is he just trying to make our lives miserable? No, he's giving us life. He's giving us life. But in order to receive what he has, we've got to let go of all the stuff that's in the way. And so Jesus says to his disciples, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What is there out there that's worth more than your eternal soul? Nothing. And yet people sell out all the time. What if, what if you could forfeit heaven, guarantee yourself hell, if you would just do this thing that would get you a hundred million dollars. And you can do a lot with a hundred million dollars. And then you're going to die and face God. If you live, my wife does ancestry. She just saw one of my relatives 
in the 1700s, died at the age of 101. Those are my genes, folks. Okay? 101! That's a long time. Yeah, that was the 1700s. He's been dead longer than he lived. You understand? And, and 100 years from now, he'll still be dead. And 1,000 years from now, he'll still be dead. And a million years from now, he'll still be dead. Are you saying there is no heaven? No, here's what I'm saying. That ancestor of mine is either in heaven or in hell right now, and that makes all the difference. Okay? If he's in heaven, it is great. It was great the moment he died, and it's going to be great forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And if he did not know the Lord, he has already been experiencing torture that is not going to end. Are, are you, uh, I mean, so you really take that hell stuff literally? Oh, yeah. You know why? Jesus had more to say about hell than anybody else in the Bible. Because it's real. And you don't want to go there. And Jesus died on the cross so that all who trust in him won't go there. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever trusts in him would not go there, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. Are you trusting in Jesus? Because if you're not, You remember when we went to the Titanic Museum? Christmas time? That was cool, wasn't it? You know, really, I mean, did, did you kind of walk through there in a daze just looking at stuff? Or do you know the story of the Titanic? The most magnificent ship that people had ever built. Absolutely amazing. So luxurious. They even replaced the marble floors and that grand staircase. They replaced the marble with the latest, greatest stuff, linoleum. They already had the marble, but they said, no, 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 we can do better than that. There's this new thing. And that's why it sank, folks. <laughs> no, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, for the time, it was fabulous. And yet, when it hit that iceberg, It's too late. That thing sank. The most successful life without Jesus is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Okay? No, I think it ought to be like this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you don't know Jesus, you're going to spend forever in hell. You really think you're going to be down in hell in that lake of fire saying, yeah, but we had a few good years there, didn't we? <laughs> no. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Pastor Wood, I don't think it's good for you to try and scare the children. If the children were about to go off a cliff, I wouldn't say, oh, boys and girls, 
be careful, okay? If you, if you fall over that place right over there, you're going to be killed. So just be careful, guys. I would be between you and the cliff going, no, stay back. Because I don't want you to fall. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to be in hell. Jesus came in order to seek and to save that which was lost. He doesn't say, if you're good enough, you can go to heaven. He says, if you trust in me, I'll take you there. But if you trust in him, you got to lay your life down. Jesus doesn't say, now some of you are going to have to take up your cross. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What is it? Profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he'll reward each person according to what he has done. Okay, three more points quickly. The first is this. What we believe about Jesus determines who we are. What we believe about Jesus determines who we are. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And the answer to that question is a dividing line. I don't know won't get you credit. You need to know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God. Who we believe Jesus is determines who we are. Point number two. Whether or not you believe it, God's word will be fulfilled. Whether or not you believe it, God's word will be fulfilled. Look again in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus wasn't saying, now look guys, you know, we're going up to Jerusalem. Just want you to know, there's some pretty significant risk here. I'm, I might end up getting killed. And, and, and I just want you to know, if that should happen and I get killed, it's possible that I might rise again on the third day. You know? So just wait a few days, see what happens, because hopefully I'm, I'm going to come back. It's not what he said. He said, this has to happen. And after it happened, and they didn't believe him. He kept telling them over and over. They still just, they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know why. I, I hate it when he talks like this. You know, I mean, it's, it's really a downer. I mean, you know, we, we left everything to follow him, and he's talking about dying. How's that going to help us? Well, just save you, that's all. But 
after it happened, and he'd risen from the dead, on more than one occasion he said to his followers, you are so slow to believe what God has said. This had to happen this way. And he took them through the scriptures and he showed them and he opened their minds to see it. And then it was like, oh my goodness, of course. It's all through the scriptures. It's exactly what God promised. This is what God said would happen. Whether you believe it or not, God's word will be fulfilled. God is not Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. You can't come back unless you believe. Come on now, say, I believe in fairies. I believe in fairies. I believe in fairies. And then the light begins to glimmer. And gradually, oh, Tinkerbell's back. Why? Because we brought Tinkerbell back with our faith. God does not need your faith in order to be God. God does not need for you to believe in him in order for him to do what he's promised to do. Everything that God has said is true and it will all be fulfilled. Whether you believe it or not. But if you believe it, oh, you are blessed. And if you don't, there's no hope. I plead with you to believe what God says. Finally, third point. What does your life say about who you believe Jesus is? What does your life say about who you believe Jesus is? Jesus said, The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. It's not enough just to say, Oh, yeah, I believe. Are you doing what God says? Are you growing in your walk of faith with him? Are you seeking to be obedient? Because our works show what we really believe. We're not saved by works. But if you're standing in the field saying... I am an apple tree. I I am. I'm an apple tree. I'm, I'm an apple tree. And year after year, there's no fruit. You ought to start to question whether or not maybe you're deluded. You understand? Because you know how you can tell apple trees? Yeah, the leaves and the bark. Well, that's one way. But my preferred method is the one Jesus talks about when he says, you'll know them by their fruit. 
If it's putting out apples, it ain't a peach tree. Not a pecan tree. No, uh, that's an apple. And it grew on this tree. So that's an apple tree. Got it? What does your life say about who you believe Jesus is? We're not going to be saved by our works, but our works demonstrate that we're saved. And if your life isn't showing your faith, you need to cry out to God and say, Lord, please change me, save me, make me yours. I want to be yours forever. And God will say, I'll think about it. No. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God isn't saying, well, prove to me first that you're really sincere. God is the one who is the author of our faith. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. No one can even perceive the kingdom of God apart from him. So, you and I have no hope apart from him. But in him, we have everything we need. And I am persuaded of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul told the Philippians. That's what I'm telling you, because it's true. It's God's word. Father, thank you so much for these precious folks. Thank you for the work that you are doing in individual lives. I pray that you would bind our hearts together in love and that we would honor you in all things. And we will be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, do we have anybody reciting?